Carla, I'm really uncertain at the minute. Can you help me? Yes, I can. I have a solution for you. You know what's called? No, what is it? Designing for a new level of uncertainty. An amazing title that describes exactly what the content will be. I know. So, yeah, we partnered with Potterpie to interview lots of designers around the world, talk about how we can navigate this completely new level of craziness in the world. Cool, I guess I'll probably subscribe and listen to that as well. Yeah, definitely enjoy season two of Design Untangled. I'm Chris Mears. And I'm Carla Lindarte. We're two UX designers. And we hate jargon. So we're here to help you untangle the world of design. Cut through the crap and talk about what really matters. Yes, solving people's problems. Welcome to Design Untangled. Hello everyone and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Carla Lindarte and my lovely friend Chris Mears. And today we have a very special guest, Gianni Cortesini, um, who is a creative strategist at Google Zoo and he can explain to us a little bit more what that actually means. Um, welcome Gianni, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That's amazing. So today, we obviously, we've been talking about uncertainty and talking about what's going on in the world and how different teams and different places have become, um, have started to use different methods to collaborate and work, especially when everyone is working from home. Um, so today, we're going to focus more about design sprints, which is what Jenny has been doing for many, many years. And But before we start, just tell us, Jenny, how has it been lockdown for you? How are you coping? <laughs> well, how am I coping? I'm learning a lot about myself and uh, and everyone around me. I think we were we were saying um, it's sort of when you're thrown into a, in an extreme state, you you get a lot of insight into what's working and what isn't working. And um, one of the one of the classic sort of uh, user interview exercises that we've sometimes done, and I think this is this came from Idea or someone I can't remember, but basically having uh, extreme users to speak to um so someone who has an extreme perspective on a problem because they give you a much more insightful perspective and now uh, we're all we're all living in an extreme world so learning a lot so i guess i'm trying to as everyone is put a, put a positive spin on it and uh and learning a lot about myself oh that's awesome. good i know carla works there as well but i've never really understood what she actually does at google zoo so maybe you can... <laughs> no one actually understands what i do <laughs> Yeah, maybe you can enlighten us on on what happens there. <laughs> right, so what happens in the mysterious zoo? Yeah, lots of animals running around. Um no, so what what we what we essentially are is um we're um, we're a creative team at Google and we exist to help uh, Google's advertisers be creative and effective on any platform that Google operates um, and technology. So that spans all the way from YouTube to display advertising search to machine learning, augmented reality, voice interfaces, you name it. Any, any tech that Google's involved in. And um, if there's a brand that's interested in exploring it to solve a specific business challenge, then we'll help them navigate through that. And the way we do that is by running our our version of a design sprint which is called a machine sprint and um, so we work through the business problem 
insights, ideas, all the way to initial prototypes, and then uh, and then sort of um, launch them on and keep consulting if they need any help, uh, any help beyond that. Um, so yeah, that's that's essentially what the zoo is. And um, in terms of uh, who is in the zoo, so you've got a. Um, broad range of uh of skill sets so I'm, I'm a strategist um as like carla is when she'll be coming back uh we've got creatives we got creative technologists we got producers who are a little bit like project managers for uh for for the programs that we run um and then you've got sort of client client partners that handle the client uh the client relationship so it's sort of a, a standalone unit within the Google universe that helps helps advertisers do amazing things with Google Tech. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Like as a, a job I apply for and then left and then <laughs> haven't come back to. But you make hopefully, it I've very sold good. it well enough that you that you that you're happy to come back. <laughs> yeah, at least you know where your job is now, right? <laughs> yeah, I know where my job is. <laughs> um, no, but very excited to coming back. Um, so obviously we we talked about design sprints and uh, perhaps for people who haven't worked with design sprints or haven't heard about design sprints um and also in the context of the work that you do which is more on the advertising side so what problems um do design sprints solve you think so clients? you mean in terms of what what problems do they solve for advertisers or you mean just in general what in do... general and also in your experience working with advertisers um, so, so, so I think the, the, the scale of of challenges that, that that we work on they'll go from anything related to uh, to an advertising challenge, so anything about raising awareness or consideration for a specific brand, all the way to okay, how do we design a voice experience, or um, how can we reinvent our app using machine learning, or whatever it might be. Um, and when you look at such a broad range of challenges, I think what's what's really interesting is, and it's kind of become sort of a philosophy for me in, in terms of how I <laughs> try and live my life as well. Uh, the sprint sort of forces you to uh, it, it pushes this way of thinking, which we call bias for action. That that you try and get to something, even though it's not perfect, as quickly as possible. And I think uh, when we run sessions, we have obviously a little bit of conversation and discussion, but I think a lot of the focus is on, okay, well, let's get it down on paper or now that we're remotely on a slide and find that when things have been written down, somehow you've you've applied a different level of thinking to it. And it's so much easier than to see the pros and cons of a concept once it's out of your head than when you're just talking and talking and talking and going round in circles and, and, and potentially not getting anywhere. So I think in terms of one of the major challenges it's solved is just getting somewhere concrete that, again, might not be perfect, but at least it's something tangible. Um, and having something tangible definitely helps uh, helps helps innovation and helps things move forward. So I think that's probably one of the biggest problems. And then in terms of us, us as a team, um, it, it's, it's given us the opportunity to work with lots of different brands, which has been which has been amazing. I think previously we used to have maybe longer engagement with an individual brand, you know, a few months working with a specific uh, brand on their project, which is great and exciting. But now you get to work with twelve or fifteen per quarter, right? So the impact that you can have on the industry, on the world, is so much greater because the methodology is so much quicker and faster. Um, so I think then when you look at it from the point of view of the, 
of the, of the clients and uh, and brands that we work with then for them also to be able to get to something concrete in such a short amount of time obviously brings massive benefits and uh, and it starts to then seep in and become a way of working for them as well because you think oh well actually it is possible to maybe you know in two or three days get to some sort of a prototype it doesn't have to take weeks or months um, and you start to influencing then cultures and the way organizations work and you know that's very exciting you know it's uh, it's a whole new way that humanity can operate so, um, so, so I think uh, speed to get to something that's not perfect and then and improve it as you go along i think is the the problem that's that it has solved yeah i'm interested to talk a bit more about the some of the challenges with design sprints so outside of google i've worked at a few places that have sort of tried to use them um and i think they've run into a few kind of cultural challenges in that the organization itself wasn't almost fully bought into the idea of you know user-centered design in the first place which obviously you know, made it a bit more challenging. Um, sometimes they weren't prepared for the amount of time and focus that they needed from their different stakeholders to actually take part in the sprint over however long it ended up being. So, yeah, you, you mentioned that one of the challenges clients have is just not being able to get something down almost. Are there any other kind of problems you've seen with implementation or actually running the design sprints across your clients? Yeah, well, I think that that's that's sort of um, one of the one of the problems. That it's one of those things that until you've experienced it, you don't really believe that it can work. Um, and so, so it's true that in many uh, in many companies, there's this sense of like, oh, surely we can't do this in two days, and surely it needs to take longer, and we need to think. So, I think that is that is a difficulty. I think. Um, Still, some of the other challenges is making sure there's the right people in the room. I, I think, uh, especially the more complex the problem is, it's important that all the right stakeholders are in there and feeding in and, uh, and making sure that you get their buy-in in the session because that's one of the things that enables you to move quickly, that the people that have a strong stake in whatever you're producing can be there, see it happening, and can give you a point of view. And it's not always possible, um, which is which is a challenge. And then I think it's... Uh, it's probably a, a brand a brand problem related maybe to the first point I made that um, you know we're, we're calling it sprints but it, it is it is a workshop and I think the word workshop still has a negative uh, a negative brand I think people see it as having lots of colorful post-its on the wall but then walking out of there and nothing happens and so it, there's this sense of oh it's just a waste of time right and um and, and i think that's that's a challenge if if you're working on the inside of a company trying to work in this way you know it's understandable that you might get lots of pushback like really does this work so you know the, the best advice is starting with small small little projects prove that it works because it's so powerful when people experience it and they're like oh my god oh, i could do this could do that that's the best way to sort of uh, sell in and get people to believe in uh, in a new way of working. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when sprints go wrong is when, as you said, you don't have the right stakeholders and it happens in agencies a lot and is when they actually just end up being lots of post-it notes on the wall, <laughs> which is happened to me in my experience many times. And it is because of the lack of stakeholder buy-in. So, um, 
you know, I, I think we at the zoo, we're lucky that we normally get, well, at least in my experience, a short experience working at the zoo, that we do have the right stakeholders in the room, but it's not always the case, isn't it? Um, I also think that obviously sprints require a lot of um, facilitation, right? It kind of depends on wh- whoever or whoever people are facilitating the workshop to kind of get to the right point. And also the power everyone giving together and, you know, brainstorming and working together in groups and then showing like, you know, showing back, etc. cetera. But uh, um, obviously throughout the pandemic and um, you guys working remotely, um, I don't know how how you've been doing it because it's it's tough, isn't it? It would be really tough to actually get to to an outcome when you're not physically with the people in the room. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. It's it's been sort of one of those things that at the beginning, back in when was it? Back in March, there was a sort of like, oh, how the hell are we going to do this? Um, yeah, and I think everyone everyone felt that way, whether it was even just working remotely, let alone doing doing sprints right um but i think <laughs> to sort of live by by the philosophy of the sprint i think we quickly put together a well not even a prototype a hypothesis of how it could work and and, and tested it out and um and surprisingly we learned quickly i think that was one of the biggest things of trying to figure out how things could work as smoothly as possible and then iterate it as we go along but i think we just jumped in and and i think some of the biggest uh the, the biggest hurdles are, you know, obviously the the, the tech setup and making sure that that's hundred percent clear from the beginning, so you don't waste any time figuring out how person X access access document Y or this whatever, so you can just hit the ground running when you enter the sprint as being critical. So one of the most useful things is just doing something as simple as just checking the tech before we jump in so that everyone's 100 clear and, uh, and there's no time uh, no time wasted i think the other the other sort of unknown which i think we're still figuring out is how long you can actually stare at a screen uh, <laughs> it's uh, i think we we initially um, we're still kind of working with this assumption that it has to be a little bit shorter than than it would be in person because because I think I think there's been studies. I mean, don't quote me on this. I'm not an expert, but um, studies that it takes a lot more cognitive um, effort to, to figure out what people are doing because you can't fully see their body language. So your brain has to work a lot harder. Like, oh, are people agreeing, disagreeing? Do they like me? Do they hate me? Well, whatever it might be, right? So it feels more tiring. Um, so it sort of cut in half the amount of time that we dedicate compared to when we do things in person, and uh, and so that's that's meant more focus. Which, in a weird way, you know, sometimes you know, focus has, has has made us realize that maybe sometimes doing things in person, where you know, maybe we were taking a little bit too long, maybe it could have been quicker. Um, and so, at the moment, we're still running with this uh, this model of trying to do things in a shorter amount of time. I think as time goes on, and, and again, I don't have the actual answer. I think we're still figuring this out. I think maybe. When it comes to more complex, really tricky problems that require a lot of back and forth and a lot of discussion from a group, maybe, and again, this is just a hypothesis, maybe still in person, you can't, you can't beat that. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit trickier to facilitate a good discussion from an overall group 
when you're in a remote setting just because you can't see the body language and uh, you can't see what people are saying you don't really know how they're feeling and instead if you're in the room with them you know exactly what's going on and it's easier to sort of riff ideas throw things around and then obviously having a, a tangible white wall that you can stick stuff draw stuff on immediately when you get a thought is is a lot more spontaneous and, and easy than maybe what, what you can do digitally um so so we'll see i think it might be a case of we just need to get used to it as human beings and it might be that our, <laughs> our brains will quickly switch on and we'll be absolutely fine i think we're still we're still figuring it out but um but at the moment it's it's working surprisingly well probably better than uh, better than expected um but but let's see for the trickier, more complicated problems. I don't know. We're still figuring figuring that out. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because design sprints are famously, you know, very compressed time scales anyway, almost by design. So yeah, you're now having to actually shrink it even further, um, but still get the same value out of it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the impacts of that are long term. I guess. Um, yeah, just looking to get your thoughts really like is there any tech or tools that you've been using that you felt have helped enable that kind of um bit you miss by being there in person so like you know Miro or I guess any of the Google Suite stuff presumably you're using quite heavily um but are there any particular good tools or good ways that you're able to facilitate those workshops in different ways well, f- funnily enough, um, although there's there's a lot of amazing amazing stuff out there, I think for for ease um, and to sort of reduce the the learning curve for some of the partners that we work with who may not have worked in this way before. I think literally using we, we often use Google Slides as the foundation of where everything happens within a, a sort of a slide presentation. That's Every team will have their own workbook. Uh, there'll be a main presentation that we all work in that everyone has access to, and that is the collaboration space. Because it's just been because it's so similar to tools that people have used in the past. It's a lot easier to pick up and run with. So to be honest with you, I haven't actually tried that much many of the others. Um, it's probably something that maybe we should do. But we we try to keep that barrier sort of as low as possible, so that anyone, no matter what your skill set is, you can basically jump in and be able to contribute to the sprint. So you talked about obviously uh, very briefly about the possibly a, a positive thing about doing remote sprint, res, um, sorry, design sprints remotely, um, which is obviously be more effective and quicker in some of the tasks. Is there anything else that you think is actually better by running them in that way uh well it's sort of like two sides of the coin right there's something um i don't have any data to back this up this is this is highly subjective but it's it's this idea that uh, you know while it takes effort to stare at a screen it also does take effort to get somewhere physical. Like I think when we were doing sprints uh, in person, there's there's a location that we always used to do them from, and you know, getting the the tube there, the bus there. You know, you might be late, you get there all flustered. Uh, there's something nice about kind of spontaneously being able to jump into into your home office. Now that we've had a few months to get used to that way of working, and I'm I'm kind of seeing 
also with some of the partners that we work with that you start to get comments like oh you know i'm actually liking the fact that i can i can be anywhere in my home and jump in on this call and contribute ideas and i can be in a maybe in a space that i'm individually comfortable with right i think Sometimes uh, when, when you do sprints, sprints physically, you know, it's at someone's office or someone's workshop space, you know, it takes a little bit to get used to the environment and that, that has an, an influence on your, on your creativity and how comfortable you feel but, and how brave you feel with the sort of ideas that you might put forward. Yeah, I'm often kind of contributing ideas whilst I'm in the shower, you know, throwing some <laughs> post-it notes out there. <laughs> Works exactly. There you go. Right. So I think that's kind of a, maybe an unexpected benefit. Uh, who knows? <laughs> we might be getting better thinking from people because they're in a place that they feel hundred percent comfortable. Yeah. I was going to ask that question actually, because, um, I'm actually a quite shy person, believe it or not. And in a workshop environment, I always get a bit worried about what other people are saying or whether the others have better ideas than me, etc. Um, do you do you find like running um, workshops in this way that perhaps more people, everyone had the chance to participate or is it always, you know, there's always certain personalities that kind of take over uh, a little bit in a workshop environment or do you think now it's a bit more balanced because everyone has their turn to talk? Uh, well, I think... <sighs> I think that depends on facilitation, whether it's remote or in person. I think making sure that everyone gets a voice. Um, I I don't necessarily, I don't know, feel that it's made a huge difference remotely or in person. I think someone who's loud and opinionated is going to behave in that way, no matter what context um, you're sort of in. But I think a lot of it comes into how you design the session and, you know, simple things that you might have covered before, but making sure everyone has individual time to do their own thinking. So then everyone gets to share their own thinking and it's not sort of the the classic brainstorming of, okay, who wants to say their idea first? No, it's more of a structured, give everyone a voice kind of approach, which has, uh, which has worked remotely as well. That being said, though, as I was saying earlier, I think facilitating a broader discussion with a group, with a larger group of people is, is just difficult, full stop. Um, either you can't see them properly, you can't, maybe detect how they're how they're feeling as a result and therefore the facilitation becomes a little bit trickier because i think when you're in person you can maybe understand where the energy is where the power dynamics are and you can play around with that remotely you're a little bit more detached and so so maybe maybe has been more difficult for certain kinds of personalities i don't know but then on the other hand you know the screen is also uh i'm a little bit more on the introvert side as well believe it or not and uh the screen does act as a little bit of a, of a protection, right? I think it's it's a lot more uh, kind of in your face, literally when you're in person. <laughs> and, and I think when you're behind the screen, you, like I was, you're at home and uh, you're protected. So maybe, you know, at least when it comes to me, maybe you feel even more compelled to share more because, uh, you know, someone's not looking at you. And I know there's been studies around because um, there's been some companies that have been working remotely even before the pandemic. And uh, one of the things that they realized is that it's, 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 it's interesting. It's sort of, it becomes less about, you know, appearance and clothes and all these things that create first impressions when you meet face, when you meet in person, when you're remotely, because pretty much 
70% of your body is cut off. <laughs> it really becomes a lot off. more about what you say <laughs> rather than, you know, what you look like or whatever, which is some of these things that we gravitate to as human beings. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, like, like with all these things, I, I don't really know. I think we're still figuring it out, but I think, uh, but I think giving a voice to everyone, I think that is a sort of a core facilitation thing and uh, whether it's remote or in person. Cool. Um, so I just wanted to talk about prototyping a bit. So that's obviously a core part of a design sprint. How has that changed um, as a factor of kind of being remote and also following on from that? Like, how has that affected how you actually get to validate these prototypes? Because, you know, it's a lot more difficult or impossible to sit face to face with customers now potentially um so yeah how does the whole kind of prototype and testing phase work now in the new world um well one of the things that that again it's, it's sort of it's, it's sort of always two sides of the coin one of the things that has has worked well is that you know whether you're working on on an app or whatever kind of digital experience or a video storyboard i think we, we've been a lot more methodical about including the the visual assets and collecting those visual assets from when we were preparing the sprint so that when people get to that point in the sprint they have a lot of building blocks to start building something off the back of i think when we were in person sometimes we did that sometimes we didn't because there was always this feeling of oh we can just draw it somehow and whatever we'll figure it out and but but now because drawing and things like that are a lot more difficult, I think um, having having some sort of visual assets to play with has become a lot more critical. Um, in terms of getting individuals to to test stuff and uh, and so forth, I think that hasn't been too too difficult. I think um, we 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 have been we've had people test things remotely via video call before, so now it's in a remote sprint rather than us all being in person. So it's kind of been uh, that's kind of been okay. That hasn't been impacted too much. But that having been said, we've been doing a lot less prototyping. I think we've kind of. Um, the way we work our methodology is that we kind of stop at a let's call it a pre-prototype um so it might be a few mock-ups of some key screens on a mobile app it might be a very basic storyboard well before we might have gone maybe a step further um in terms of the impact that that's had i don't know on one hand because we're doing everything digitally in slides i think the partners that we work with can literally hit the ground running and it's a lot easier to translate and understand the output of a sprint when it's already in a digital format i think before we'd have lots of drawings or paper prototypes and then transferring those yes you could do a video but that didn't always work um, or transferring them into a digital format isn't something that always happens so it was a lot more complicated so there's pros and cons but i guess we've been prototyping a little bit less but when we have been doing it actually has been quite sort of uh, effective well you guys obviously google in well google invented design sprains and when you read the book um it was this like magic methodology that you know working with startups we have the best set up to be running like a week worth of this you know workshops with all the steps etc um but obviously everyone is interpret um design sprints in different ways and um google zoo has actually done their own version of it um so tell us a little bit 
about that kind of transformation and evolution, I would say, of the design sprint since you started working with that methodology until now, obviously, with remote sprints, whatever, even before COVID, how design sprints have changed in terms of methodology based on the needs of your clients? So where, where to where to begin? I think I think sort of uh, the, the design, the, the pure, let's call it the pure <laughs> design sprint as it is in the, in the book and, and how it was intended is extremely focused on, on A, apps and digital experiences and specifically zooming in into we need to improve the filters on the results of this page and how can we come up with a different way of doing this very specific thing which is great and i think it works brilliantly in that in that sort of environment and i think some of the examples kind of focus on that when you read the book and so forth i think what we've kind of had to shift to is maybe less specific areas because some of the challenges that we work on are a lot broader such as how do we reinvent this brand or how could we apply machine learning to this problem so i think we've had to focus in more to be able to cope with uh which broader problems and therefore what that has meant is we've had to add a few more modules that maybe help you think about the problem in a different way help you articulate the problem help you start to to figure out ways to to approach the problem and so there's a little bit more of a of a, of a strategic phase as a as a result and then the other the other sort of obvious change that we've made is just the canvas that we have is uh, is, is a lot broader we work on anything from video to to apps to voice to, to whatever it is so i think we've we've tried to develop bespoke exercises modules and things depending on the on the canvas that that we're playing with and not just sort of assuming that we're building something specifically for an app or a website or something like that because it's a little bit different when you work with uh, maybe a video right coming up with a series of video executions for youtube it's different templates different formats and slightly different best practice different way of thinking about it so we've incorporated a little bit of that into the into the methodology and i think that's that's kind of kind of where this sort of the, the as we call it machine uh our, our our version of it has has landed and and just to clarify what machine stands for to sort of back up the the point i was making earlier m m stands for mission which is okay what's the business problem so let's 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 clarify exactly from the business point of view what the problem is then a stands for audience and that's really bringing a user first perspective and we go in on that very heavily because i think that's such a critical part of everything that we do that to, to understand what are really the user needs the user struggles the jobs to be done and so forth um, and then the ch is challenge so we started from a business first problem we've looked at how the user feels about it now let's articulate it in a way that kind of balances the two things and just the m and the a and the ch sometimes can used to take even a full day when we were face to face and now sometimes it can take up to the first sort of half day when we're doing things remotely. Um, and then the I is, is sort of imagine, so your ideas going very expansive and broad and crazy. N is the nutshell, so going back reductive and being a little bit more critical about what's right, what's wrong. And then E stands for execution, so how do we actually, um, how do we actually make this happen? So a few tweaks there in terms of the core, uh, the core methodology, which maybe isn't as specific 
when you think about the phases, when you read the book and, and, and so forth. It's a little bit looser to apply in lots of different contexts. We try to bring it back down and make it work for the sort of challenges that we work on. Cool. Awesome. Um, so yeah, just kind of coming towards the end now. So I wondered, you spoke a bit about some of the challenges and how you're tackling with them at the moment. If I'm a designer who's about to run my first ever design sprint, um, are there any other tips or, you know, suggestions you might have for that person? I guess both design sprints in general and, you know, design sprints remotely. Um, are there any bits of advice or tips you would give to that person? Um, I'm going to focus in on the remote stuff because I think at the moment that's just something that obviously we might be doing for a while. So I think, um, I, I guess a lot of these things kind of can be translated in person as well. But um, I think it's easy to underestimate, as I was saying earlier, the importance of, of checking checking the tech and making sure that everyone's everything's fine. And I think uh, you know when we say the tech, some sort of collaboration space, whatever that might be, some sort of chat functionality so you can keep communicating with people and then whatever you're going to use for some sort of a deck that everyone's uh, everyone's following along with. I think it's sort of three, three core ingredients to make sure that you have a, a backbone to stand on and make sure that that's all prepared and sorted from the get-go and there's no problems whatsoever. Saves lots of headaches. The second thing is, um, and I think this applies also when you're when you're in person and i think it's again i think it's a it's a it's a perception problem but um whenever people whenever i say this there's always like oh god but the, the concept of an energizer right which is which people always think it's some sort of silly game that you play just for the sake of being awkward but but actually th th when when they're done well th they really they really serve an important purpose in getting your brain into the right mind state depending on what exercise you're about to tackle um, cause, and again, I'm not an expert in this, but the brain has different brain, <laughs> different waves, depending on what sort of mode of thinking you're in. And the whole point of an energizer is to get you into that mode of thinking. So if you're about to go into a creative exercise, you want to make sure that you walk into it feeling creative, enthusiastic, brave, and not sort of nervous and anxious because it's not going to serve any purpose. There's tons and tons and tons of examples of these online. I think the biggest tip is pick one and pick one that's relevant for what you're about to do because it really, really makes a humongous difference to the mood and the energy in the sprint. And then the final one, and I think, again, probably applies to both, but um, even even more so now is this whole area of uh, of, of over-communicating. I think both in the in the prep phase and while facilitating and running the sprint i think you know not being scared of repeating things and making sure that is this actually what we're doing is this specifically what you meant i think there's so much more room for misunderstanding now that we're all or individually in different houses you can't have those impromptu conversations in the office I think it's so critical that everything's documented. Everyone's clear on, yes, we're doing this and then we're doing that. And then the same applies when you're in the sprint, sort of clear um, signposting so no one gets lost and keep repeating, is everyone clear on what we're doing? And sort of these basics of, of, of good facilitation become even more important to making sure that people don't get lost. And I think doing these three things has such a strong effect on on mood and energy, and mood and energy is such a is such a big part of the formula that if that is high, 
<laughs> the likelihood of reaching something positive will be a lot higher. So doing whatever you can to make sure that the group is in a good mood and going in the right direction is, uh, is the best thing you can do. So that will be my, uh, probably my three tips. That is amazing. Thank you very much to tell me how to do my job when I go back in January. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to do it. It'll be it'll be great. <laughs> no, it's um it's a very like weird time anyway. But um, thank you so much for y- your insight. I think this is going to be really useful not only for me but all the designers listening to you and obviously going through these difficult period but obviously we're learning so much and we're also demonstrating that you know it is possible to work from home it is possible to do any kind of job if you have the right technology and the right people working together so thank you so much for today it was really really insightful no problem again thank you thank you for having me Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at Design Untangled. 